Welcome to Episode 7 in Advocacy in Court. Our topic in this episode is seeing the whole, not just the whole. Now, it's true that the P party, whether that's P for prosecutor or P for plaintiff, has to see the entire case, the whole of it. Whereas a defence is usually just looking for the whole, something that they can show to be a fundamental defect in the P party case. However, it's also true that whichever side of a case you're working on, you need to have a view of the entirety of it in order to be able to assess both the strength of your case and what it is that your opponent is not seeing, not hearing, or not comprehending. So this episode is about giving you a way by which you can literally see the whole of your case. We're going to do this step by step. Step one is that you need a large flat area, typically a wall in your office or wherever you prepare your cases. To that wall, you need to have any one of butcher's paper, a whiteboard, or Avery, that's an American brand name, write on cling sheets. Those Avery sheets are the same size as butcher's paper, but they quite literally cling to the wall without any adhesive, and you can erase whatever you write on them and reuse them, often a number of times. But whether it's a whiteboard, butcher's paper, or cling sheets, you need a lot of white space. I'm not talking about one sheet. I'm talking about at least six. What's more, whatever wall you're using to affix this material, you then have to be able to stand well back from it, by which I mean a couple of metres, so as to be able to see its entirety, left to right and top to bottom. This is because you're going to be randomly writing various topics on this white surface, whether those topics are the legal elements of a case or the topics that you've decided represent the entirety of the factual issues to be decided, or the topics within a particular witness's evidence so that you have both the totality of the evidence points to be made by that witness or through that witness together with the order or prioritisation within which you're going to go through that witness's evidence. Now, I expect that uh, some of you listening to this podcast are thinking, I don't need this. I have a perfectly good way of preparing my case. I use legal pad paper and I write down the information that I need line by line. I might even number my paragraphs. It's worked perfectly well for me. Why should I change it? The problem with this approach that 
may seem to have served you well, is that it restricts your ability to think at large about the problem that you're trying to solve. Lists tend to dominate the process of anybody who's using them. Let me take as an example the simple enough process of going to a shop to buy food for a week. Now, if you prepare an ad hoc list of things to be got on the next visit to the supermarket, then if you are going to a supermarket where you are very familiar with the layout, then when you take your trolley and go into the supermarket, your knowledge of the layout takes precedence over the order of items on the list in this sense. As you go down the first aisle, your prior knowledge of what's in that particular aisle will mean that you can pick up items in that aisle that are on your list and cross them off wherever they are on the list and then move into aisle two. In other words, the list does not control what you do. And you can do that throughout the time that you're in the supermarket. However, if you have exactly the same list and you go into a supermarket where you are not familiar with the layout, then you will find, sadly, that you may have to return to a particular aisle several times. This is because the list will dominate the way in which you approach the task. Going into a court case, any court case, with a pre-structured list of things to be done, is like going into the supermarket where you are unfamiliar with the way in which the aisles are set out. Court cases do not have the fixed structure of supermarkets. They are inherently capable of producing the unknown randomly. Once you recognise this reality, then you want to have a preparation method and a delivery method that recognises the high level of uncertainty in all litigation. You also want a preparation method that ensures that both you and your client understand the entirety of the case, that both of you can grasp and put to test your case theory, and that you are sure about each witness's place within the case that you are going to present. If you can do all of that, then you'll be giving your client a justified sense that they can both trust you and usefully participate in their own case. As you will see, the approach that I'm about to describe can be used to develop a case theory for either side, to prepare witness statements, that is, the material that's to be in witness statements, to prepare for a cross-examination of any opponent's witness, and to prepare for any addresses that you may need to give during. Now, I've used the word preparation in each of those preceding sentences because once you've used this method for the preparation, 
you can then adapt the material that's up on the wall so that it is the basis of the notes that you'll have with you at the bar table. Step one, whether it's evolution of case theory, content of witness statement, or method of cross-examination or address, is that we use the white space to randomly allocate particular topics with which we're interested. By random, I mean there will be no list, no list at all. Now, in the last episode, I gave a selection of topics that might be asked of Jack and Jill. Please make your choice as to whether you wish to imagine that you're acting for Jack or Jill. You cannot act for both. Now, having made that decision, the topics, just the few topics that we're concerned with for the purpose of this demonstration, are the following five. First, what is the relationship between Jack and Jill? Secondly, the topic of water. Where was it? Why was it there? How much was there? Third topic. What was the method of travel and any obstacles to get to that water? The fourth topic. The injury to both Jack and Jill. What was it? How did it come about? What was the extent of the injury? And what were the long-term consequences to each of them? And finally, number five, what was the extent, if any, of the contribution of each of them to the injury that they suffered? At this point, it is essential that you stop this podcast, rewind it about a minute, and put in front of you, but better still, put on the wall, a large sheet of paper. Having done that, that is, got the large sheet of paper, randomly put on that very large sheet the five topics to which I just referred. You can do this by putting the following five words randomly on this large sheet. Relationship, water, travel, injury, contribution. I repeat those. Relationship, water, travel, injury, contribution. Now around each of those five words, put what you consider to be the essential evidence that will need to be given with respect to each of those topics. Note that I said put around. Do not write a list. It's okay for a piece of evidence to appear within more than one topic. You now need to stand back from this display, whiteboard, butcher's paper, or Avery write-on cling wrap. Stand back from it sufficiently far that you can take in all of it in one pass of your eyes. While you are looking at it, Apply that guideline that 
you always start with a very good point, you always finish with a very good point, and you put the weaker parts of your case in the middle. So pick up a marker pen and number the various topics that you put up on the sheet in the order that you think you are likely to lead them in a hearing. So number one for your opening point, number five for a strong closing point, and then work out two, three, and four according to some logic that you impose on the topics. Having done that, look at the now numbered topics and push the ones that are least important back into the wall. It's as though your five topics are now planets in outer space. The first topic is nearest to you and the last topic is furthest away. So your two-dimensional representation has now become three dimensions. Take a photo of this large-scale representation, keep it for yourself, and share it with your client and any witness for whom it is relevant. Now, my describing this method to you doesn't mean that you've learned it, only that you have the potential to do so. So, before you listen to the next episode, why not try this method on a few of your cases, real or imagined? Experimenting with it will show you its power. It will also show you how much better it is as a tool for preparation than the list-driven method that you may have used up until now. I hope you'll want to join Episode 8. Bye for now.